yeah, coming at you from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Of course, it's John Pielli. A lot of stuff going on in baseball. Obviously, if you heard within the last hour or so, it looks like the Red Sox have added uh, Ryan Dempster to their pitching staff. And, of course, the big news involves Josh Hamilton surprisingly uh, taking the money from the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Now, today I'm, I have the esteemed pleasure of being joined in studio by former Major League pitcher Ralph Citarella, who's currently the pitching coach for the Newark Bears. Uh, you hear all right there, buddy? Yep, everything's fine. All right, man. Just make sure you speak in in the microphone. There you go. We're good. So uh, thanks for coming in today, Ralph. Appreciate you having you in studio with me. Um, a couple minutes, uh, Billy Staples, well-known baseball author, is going to join us. We're going to probably just go crazy. You know, a lot of a lot of different things going on in baseball, a lot of stories we got, you know, things that I know. Obviously, the other two guys that are going to be in the studio with me know a little bit more and have a little more stories to tell than I do myself. So uh, let's start out, Ralph. Let's get your opinion first of all. What do you think about the Hamilton deal with the Angels? What a surprise and what a bonus. The Angels are getting one of the best players in all baseball and just a pure, pure slugger and natural athlete. No, no question about it, man. And uh, we're going to take a quick second. We'll take this phone call in real quick. Uh, Welcome to the Past Ball Show. It's John Pielli, who we got on the line. Hello? Hi, how you doing? This is John Pielli from the Past Ball Show. Welcome to the program. Right, we're going to have to drop that call. It seems like the connection wasn't so good, but I uh, apologize. If you want to get back on, just give us a call. I apologize for uh, for not uh, not having, to have any issues there, but whatever. Back to what we're talking about. Josh Hamilton signs a five-year deal with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim for $125 million. And in my own opinion, I think this, is, this isn't as much of a shock as a lot of people you know, seem, seem it to be because the Angels just lost out on Greinke. They were looking to, you know, potentially sign Granky to a similar contract. You know, well over a hundred million dollars. That money's freed up when he ends up signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And now they, they take their money and they're like, Hey, all right, let's let's spend it on Josh Hamilton. And I think in the end when it comes to this, I think uh they ended up ended up making a good deal. I mean, you look at uh, a lot of the other teams they're like, Hey, let's get this guy in a two, three year deal. But, you know, as we were talking about outside, Ralph, you know, this that's a game changer and this is no question you know amongst the top five at the very least within the top 10 offensive players in the game right now and he's in my opinion worth the money without a doubt at any given time at any at bat and in any game he can change the game with just one swing and also hit for average he's uh just a phenomenal pickup and hey they were going after the best pitcher available and they didn't get him so hey let's go for the uh the best hitter available. Yeah, what I, what I find a little a little odd about it, I mean, not not even odd, but I mean, it it, it's, it just speaks to my point a little more. They missed out on Granky, man. They get, they got the money. There's like, listen, let's go get the next best player available. And you know, it wasn't a pitcher. There wasn't another pitcher out there that was really in the league of a Granky as far as you know dollars and you know average annual value in years. So they end up spending it, you know, on Josh Hamilton, making their team, you know, in the middle of their lineup sick now with Trout and Pujols and everything else that they got. Well, just think about it. Playing in that heat out in Texas, it wasn't a you know, a hard decision to make. Look at the uh, the players he's going to have around him and playing in southern sunny California. Yeah, no question about on it. On the man. coast. <laughs> now, what do you think? I mean, a lot of people always want to bring up the issues with Hamilton, the off-the-field stuff, the stuff where, you know, you worry about, you know, the issues he had earlier in his career with the drugs and the alcohol and stuff. And, you know, as he moves forward, in my opinion, and, you know, I might be the only one that says this. I think I think he's over that stuff. That stuff's in the past. It's a little too much that, you know, the media grabs and always wants to make a story out of it. But I think I think this guy's got another five, ten years left in his career to go out there and do, you know, do what he's capable of doing. He's come such a long way and handled it in a professional manner. Exactly. you got to remember, he's a human being, and he's just like everybody else except he's just a super athlete. And he's handled it well, and he knows how to handle it now. And as long as he surrounds himself with the right people and there's always someone there for him, he'll be fine. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that you know you hear about, you know, the the issues with the drugs and stuff, you know, it's more more for the tabloids, more for the gossip, and you know where people like to get a story out of nothing. They um, love that kind of stuff on the pages <laughs> of uh, the newspaper, but you know, as you get older, uh, you get a little smarter, and uh, he's done both. Yeah, no question. And I mean, here's a guy that honestly has come as far as he has, just like you mentioned. I mean, the guy hasn't made it back to where he is to take a step back. And I think any, I, I would say, I don't know, 80, 85, 90% of the people that have come from where he came from aren't going to let down when they get to this point. And, I, and I, re, I really think that that's the main reason why I could see this guy staying sober, you know, getting, getting through the rest of the years of his career and realizing, you know, what he lost. Remember, this was a guy that was the number one draft pick overall by the Tampa Bay Ra- or Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time, and was expected to be, you know, what he is now when he first came up. He ends up running running through, you know, those issues with the drugs and alcohol. Ends up being on a restricted list for three years. Ends up getting himself back with a, you know, a couple good years in the minor leagues. Goes to the Reds, and then obviously breaks out, you know, as a, you you would have expected earlier in his career with Texas and. Listen, I think this is a guy that's back now. I mean, he, you know, he, he got he got his contract. I really don't think it's going to be it'd be one of those things where the Angels aren't going to get at least three really good years out of him, if not all five. He's come so far, and just remember, they didn't just let him back into baseball. He had to live in a dugout, sweep dugouts, pick up garbage, and just start from the very bottom. Exactly. And he's no way he's going to go all the way back to that. And he's paid his dues. And he's a tremendous superstar, and he handles it very well. And it's just going to be fun to see him in the middle of that lineup with Pujols and all those other uh, mashers. And we're going to now, as we're talking about the Angels here, because you know last year they pretty much did something similar when they brought in Pujols, they brought in C.J. Wilson. They kind of ha- had these uh, off-season awards for being, you know, the most, the the best team on paper coming into the season. You think in your mind, Ralph, is there is there any issues as far as it coming together similarly to the way it did last year? Because last year we we're talking about guys like Tory Hunter and Bobby Abreu, and you know guys who were supposed to make more of an impact than they really did. Of course, Mike Trout comes in, you know, uh, whatever within a month of the season, you know, makes a case for the MVP last year. But this is this is an Angels team that was considered to be the top team in baseball coming into last year. They end up finishing uh, third place behind the Athletics and the Rangers last year. You, you know, are are they going to be able to be that you know team to beat, even though they didn't kind of didn't get the job done last year? Well, when you look at any team with that t- type of talent on paper, they always look like the team to beat. But that's why you have to play the games because you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Everyone was on Pujols because he started out slow. Myself, I wasn't worried. I knew he was going to end up the way he always does. Remember, it was a new league, new pitchers, and getting a little used to it, and also maybe thinking he had to do a little more than he had to because of the contract. But at the end of the year, his numbers were there. Yeah, no question. I mean, in the end, it looks like you know, Pujols did, you know, ended up doing the job, got off to a bad start. But you know, they ended up being in a spot where they, they could have won, what was it, two, three other divisions with the 93 wins they got? Yeah, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't for a matter of just you know totally not getting the job done. They just ended up really getting going a little too late when I you had to. Texas started out on fire. Yeah, they were the I best mean, team in baseball a, for a long a time. A lot of ground to make up, and baseball is a game of inches. Not even you know it could be an inch of the ball being foul, fair, home run, double, or an out, or a pitch, an inch inside, an inch outside, an out, a home run. So. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't take that much, man. And, you know, the, the, really the wrong division you wanted to be in with three teams winning more than 93 games out of four. I mean, that's, you know, that's, a, that's tough. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, let's say like the 1993 uh, San Francisco Giants that won over 100 games, ended up missing the playoffs. Well, every year there's going to be a lot more parity. These athletes now train all year round, and new training techniques are evolving every year. They work harder. They work on their – uh, what they're not good at in the off season, they work around the clock, they work around the year, and every year there's getting to be more parity. So that's what you're going to have. No, no question, teams. no question about it, man. Now, you know, as as we move on, you know, obviously uh, we'll talk about this for a little bit. You know, Ryan Dempster ends up signing with the Red Sox. Dempster's a guy that last year pitched very well for the Cubs, ends up getting traded to the Rangers, kind of struggled with him. And I said a little bit off air. 
you know, I think it might be a situation where he may just have a part time having success in the American League. You, you believe in that? I believe there's a transition. He's not used to all the hitters. He doesn't see him as well as much as he saw the other hitters in the National League. Or maybe he could have put a little too much pressure on himself. And uh, involved, but he's he's a durable pitcher that can get you a lot of innings, and he's uh, he's a good pitcher. Yeah, no question about it, man. Listen, we're going to take a quick break, man. We're going to get back into a lot more with Ralph Citarella right here in the Past Ball Show on the MTR Radio Network. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin, and you're rocking with the crew on MTR Radio. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. You can put this together, right? I like to tap that app on MTR Radio. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um... MTR. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. I love MTR Radio because of its uh, innovative direction. That's a bunch of shit. I love MTR Radio because they accept me. Ah, uh, you knucklehead. Hey, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Trending today on Twitter. MTR. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. This is the Past Ball Show on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to check out the Android and iPhone apps. Check, Search MTR Radio. You get the app. You get to listen to our programming, which we have, obviously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Check it out on your mobile app. Of course, you want to check the website, mtrmediamtrradio.com. Uh, you can check out some of my postings. I'm right, you know, I pretty much write a uh, post or two every day for MTR Media, uh, always baseball-related because that's what I'm about. But, um, you know, lots of stuff going on. Of course, I'm joined in studio by Ralph Citarella, uh, former pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals in the early 80s. In 80, uh, was it 83 and 84? Ends up uh, with the White Sox in 87. So, Ralph, uh, we're going to get into a little bit about your playing career. You started out, and one thing that I found was interesting is before you were drafted in the first round by the Cardinals, you were drafted two other times in the, the first round of the 78 draft. And then you were drafted in the second round of the the second, what is it, the June phase of the draft. Tell us a little bit about what was going through your mind then. You know, you, your first round draft pick, you end up, you know, what what ended up happening? You, you you ended up not signing. I was in junior college down in Brevard Community College playing uh, junior college baseball in Florida. And the Minnesota Twins drafted me in uh, the January draft. And uh, I was pretty much set on signing, but... Uh, the way, they, the way it was handled back then, I didn't work out, and uh, we didn't come to any agreements. And then I went back and finished the year, and uh, I got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, and I opted to go to Florida Southern uh, College in uh, Lakeland, Florida, and try to win a national championship because they're a baseball powerhouse, the moccasins, yeah. and have so many national championships. And uh, I went there, and we lost in the finals. Uh, against Valdosta State in the Division II College World Series, and then I decided I was going to sign, and the Cardinals drafted me. 
uh, in the first round of the sec secondary phase. The funny thing was I got a phone call the day before from uh, Brian Butterfield, who's the now the third base coach for the Boston Red Sox, who was my teammate in college, and uh, I lived with him in instructional league, and I played against him, and uh, we've been close ever since. His father called me the late Jack Butterfield that built the New York Yankees, signed Thurman Munson, yeah. and built the dynasty, and uh, told me he was going to make me a Yankee that day, but they took Otis Nixon in the first round, and then I ended up going with the Cardinals. And uh, 79 of June. All right, now that's pretty interesting. Now, I want, I wanted to ask you a pretty good question, because you know the way you the way you hear like uh, people when they get drafted now with the with the slots and stuff like that, a certain amount of money you know allocated to each slots. Was it was it a money issue as far as what was set then, as far as what you were expecting to be paid, as far as what you were offered when you were originally drafted by the Twins? Yeah, there was a gigantic disparity. But back then, that's how the Twins were. They were owned by Calvin Griffith, and uh, you know that's how they did things. And it was just too much of a disparity from what the other first round picks were getting it wasn't even close and uh i figured i'd just take my chances and play again because i knew i you know i was going to do it again yeah no question man now as, as you as you move forward is uh you know is it a, is, is it a, is it a situation where you're like all right i'm going to go back to school unless i get this dollar amount or is it or is it or is it more about just the the environment what you feel comfortable you kind, no, of, kind well, of weighing the it, two things it had nothing to do with a set dollar amount it was just totally not even close to a what I thought was fair and I thought I wouldn't get hurt by playing uh, another semester of college ball which turned out to be the right move I mean it didn't hurt but who knows maybe I would have went to the big leagues with the twins but you never know <laughs> yeah now it, the, I always I always like to ask uh, former players this when they're getting drafted and stuff because I know making the major leagues and you know getting up there getting your best chance to pitch in pro ball is probably amongst the high, the highest part of the list as far as priorities, but is there anything involved in regards to let's say what team drafts you? Like let's say you were you were drafted by a team that has a history of just being bad, or a team with a bad reputation or something. Does that influence you when it comes draft day? No, you can look at it both ways. I mean, it's not the uh, NBA or the NFL where uh, they. They can demand trades and not sign, I mean, you know, and go to another team. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. If you get drafted by a team that's not that strong in the big leagues or the farm system, you would have a better opportunity or a faster opportunity if you did your job to climb the ladder through the minor leagues. Yeah, good point. And back, and back in the early uh, 80s and late 70s, uh, they didn't move people to the big leagues as fast as they do now. They just didn't. They wanted you to play in the minor leagues and learn the game and learn how to handle things and just learn instead of a lot of times they would move somebody up right away and then they'd send them all the way back down to A ball and let them start over and, you know. Yeah, yeah you figure like back then there was, there was more of a chance to, let's say, if you, if you had some, some struggles, teams would probably take more of a chance on you for a little while. Now it's like, you know, you're, 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 you, you get the hype, you're, you're paid that extra amount of money. It's either big leagues or bust, and you, you see a lot of players that are it's, that are, are taking it's early. It's true. If they, it's always been true. If they have a lot more money invested in you, in the bust, they're going to spend a little more extra time with you than they would with someone they didn't give exactly. any money. It all comes down to the talent at the end of the day. Now, now, as, as you as you come up with the with the Cardinals organization, you know you had you had some pretty good years in the minors. You end up making your debut in '83. What did you did you in your own mind, have a set plan as far as what your timetable is going to be to the big leagues? Or was it a situation where you, you kind of stuck to, let's say, the organization's plan or your pitching coordinators or what they said you were going to do? There was nothing you could do. They, try, they could have took me out of A ball, and I would have been able to pitch in the big leagues. In double A, Daryl Knowles was a pitching coach, and they tried to get me to the big leagues out of double A, and they, they didn't go for it. And then... Uh, my first year in AAA, I led the whole American Association in victories as a baby, 15 and 6 in 82, and I didn't get called up to the big leagues. And uh, the Cardinals happened to win a World Series that year, yes, which is kind of odd, not being called up and leading the league in wins. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes. You, there's nothing you can really do about it but do your job every time you get the ball. Yeah, no question, man. Now, 
It, you know, on to the 1982 season a little bit. I would assume that you got a chance to pitch in spring training that year, right? With the, oh, with the in the major league camp or no? A little bit, but not much. Okay, not much. Did you get a sense? Did you get a, the opportunity to get a sense of what they had there, as far as you know, the core players and stuff like that? Did that seem like a team that was capable of winning a World Series that year? Yeah, they had a lot, a lot of players, a lot yeah, of did. superstars. You know, uh, Ozzy Smith, George Hendrick, Darrell Porter, Tommy Hur, Kenny Oberfeld, David Green, just players you can't imagine. Joaquin Andahar, Bruce Suter, uh, Bob Force, who threw no hitters, and he, just, the late Bob Force, who just died last year. Uh, sorry, my hey, old God, teammate. God bless his soul, I got man. to witness his second no hitter, and uh, I'm actually in the Hall of Fame because. There's a picture of him pitching his second no-hitter, and what I'm told is I'm on the field congratulating him, and they got a picture of me with my name and number, so I, I made it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. You got, you got that framed? Yeah. You got it framed up at your house and be like, hey, that's me. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> but, no, they had a really good core of players. And all you do is you go down and you do your job, and, you know, after being in baseball so long, people get hurt. People get traded. People do a lot of things. People quit, and there's always openings, so you got to be ready. And there's nothing else you could do, but every time you get the ball, uh, make believe it's your last time you're going to get it, so and get and get them out. Yeah. Now, what has always fascinated me about these about those Cardinal teams, especially of the early '80s going into the mid to almost late '80s, is is kind of the revolution that ends up happening under Whitey Herzog, as far as you know, the type of players that he starts out having in the early part of the '80s. And then he starts shipping them all out and making you know making these moves and trading guys for other guys. They win the World Series in 1982, but within another year or two, they're back into contention. Obviously, making the World Series in '85, where they they probably should have won, you know, but, you know cool. outside of that Decatur call. But you know, the, the, if you looked at the '82 team and compared it to the '85 team, it, it, there's a lot of turnover from you know within a couple of years. A lot of turnover, but a lot of similar players. Yeah, I, agree. I played uh, in AAA. And we played on an AstroTurf field in Louisville, and first it was Willie McGee, and then the next year it was Vince Coleman, and then the next year it was Alex Cole. And you should have seen yeah. these guys go around in bases. Like, you've never seen anything like it. No, no question, man. You're throwing, throwing Terry Pendleton, who comes up at the time, and, you know, a lot of they, they bring in a lot of the players that they developed. And in, in my opinion, I, don't, I can't back this up because I don't know 100%, but I would assume that these are guys that were drafted by Whitey Herzog, you know, went through the system, they end up – you know, finding places for him and kind of adjusting the team well, based on these guys coming in. What happens is the reason for that is the St. Louis Cardinals organization is one of the greatest organizations in baseball for a very long time. Uh, the Yankees, they probably have as many championships or second place or I, I'm not Cardinals, positive. Cardinals got 11. And Want me to run them off to you? They're far, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know your World Series, Johnny. But the players, the farm system – if you come through the Cardinal organization and you make it for a while, you can play. You were taught well. That's why you see them last a long time and go to other teams and get second and third chances. Yeah, no question, man. And what I, what I what really intrigues me was really how you know you look at the '85 team and it, you know, it, it ends up you know of course if I'm not mistaken, I think you had uh, left the team by them. You were I got sort of traded, sort of sold two weeks before spring training to the Phillies. It was like the last cut sent down by the Phillies because of a trade of uh, Lemon Tusek for Pat Zachary, and he was making a bunch of money, and they shipped me out to AAA. But all my roommates and best friends were on the Cardinals that year. And uh, how did how did that feel? Did you did you did you really feel like you, it was something that was like obviously you put in all that time, you, you, you had that 15 and 6 season in, in 82, you know, did you did you feel like it, you you should have gotten more of a chance to pitch in the big leagues at that point or now? Yeah, I would have liked more of a chance, but when I went to Philly, I just said I would make that team, and I actually really did. But their hands were tied because of money situation. Yeah, that sucks when that happens. You know, it's always you know, and, and I think you see it more now than you even did then. You know, as far as players, you know, tied into contracts, especially when you're dealing with so many more millions of so dollars. dollars. Yeah, now you it's got a big guy, difference. You got a guy who's making five million dollars. You're not going to, you know, take him off your roster. You know, and that's really what you have to do to do it. And and it, and it, you know, I think a lot of younger guys or guys that really probably should get a chance end up suffering. It happens. It's always going to be like that. It's always. But you know, I'm going to tell you, every person that played the game for more than three or four years, they'll have a story. Even if they weren't any good, they'll make they'll have a story. But 
it's just you got to do your job, and you know it's better to be lucky than good. Let me tell you. And timing is really everything. As long as you're doing your job, you have to have timing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a slot's got to be there for you, and obviously, it's it's on you to capitalize once given an opportunity. The difference is when you're young, you don't realize all that stuff. <laughs> so, but now that I'm coaching, I can pass that on to the kids that I'm coaching, and they have no idea when I tell them how lucky they are what I'm teaching them because. It's stuff that no one helped me with, so I'm giving them a big advantage to get a chance. Yeah, no question, man. Now, as, as you move on, yeah, you, you obviously uh, you end up going back to the Cardinals, I believe, for part of the '86 season, and then you split that season with Oakland. Tell us a little bit about that season and where it kind of ranks as far as your development, where you were, and where you felt you should be. That was a rough year because I became a minor league free agent after all those years not being able to do anything and. I chose the Oakland A's because they were not a strong team. They had a manager, Jackie Moore, and I went to spring training, and I said, I'll make this team. And it was uh, Jose Canseco's first spring training. Yes. I was there with, like, Dave Kingman, Jose Canseco, Carney Lansford, uh, Dusty Baker, my friend, all kinds of people. And uh, I didn't get one chance to pitch in spring training, and they just sent me to AAA. Now, how does that end up working and out? It was like a total waste of time, and then they sent me there. I won a bunch of games, but I wasn't throwing that well, and uh, they were probably paying me decent money, and they released me, and the next day the Cardinals just took me right back. Now, how does that end up working out as you go to spring training? Like, you know, were, were you part of our— I was in a big you, league camp. You are in a big league camp. Now, how, how does that work out? Do you still get, like, I guess your regular throwing in, but you're just not used in any games? I mean, I, I, it was just a total waste of time, and then— it happened to me twice. Jackie Moore managed for a few months, and then came Tony La Russa, and a dynasty was built. Same thing with the Phillies. When they sent me down, I had the team made, and because of a trade, some, a manager by the name John Felsky managed a little while, and then they got rid of him, and they became a dynasty again. Yeah, you kind of kind of had Just, that. So there it is. That, Timing's that, everything. You kind of had that impact on people, huh? Billy Staples is in the house. Yes, he is, man. With Ralphie Boyd, man. <laughs> All right, I think I got the right mic up now, so apologize for that. Uh, no, I just was commenting that we know that if you go in the first round in Major League Baseball and you're a pitcher, I don't care what year you went in the first round, that meant you could throw some peas. Absolutely, man. <laughs> now, we're welcome to the program, well-known baseball author Billy Staples. And, you know, he's, he's rolling in a little late, but better, better late than never. <laughs> If you look out the window in New Jersey, there is a car broken down in the middle lane, and it is bumper to bumper for like I don't know how many miles. Wow! It well, shut. Uh, Route Forty Six is shut down. That's terrible, man. I, I was actually on my way up here. I got caught on Seventeen. It backed up for like a little bit. It was stopped dead for about I don't know about five or ten minutes, and all of a sudden it just picked up again. So I kind of lucked out. I, I was thinking, I was like, I was like, yeah, the worst, the worst thing that could happen is the two of you guys get here before me. <laughs> and, I didn't and, think and, I was going to make it. No, I was I, in so I, much traffic. What, 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 I, got, I got out of the car. I came in here. I'm like, all right, neither of them are here yet. Thank God. And I, I just I wanted to make sure that I beat the both of you oh, guys yeah. here. I, you know, I, and I, I've talked to Ralph, uh, I mean, a dozen times uh, as friends. But I, I never did ask you. You know, we're doing, we're doing a baseball show. But back when this all started for you, first round. You know, I, I mean, I, I looked it up on the. I didn't know. I mean, I, you, you uh, got out of high school and you got drafted, but you didn't go. No, I went to uh, a college in New Jersey for one year because I had a pre-separated shoulder from football. Okay. I used to throw football pretty good, and uh, Bloomfield College gave me a basketball scholarship to play baseball to talk me into playing basketball. Okay. So I did a little of that, and uh, I played one year up here. Hit like 4:45 pitch, played center, and then I just took off to Florida. Threw one inning, and after the first inning, I threw in Florida. They told me I'll be drafted right away in January, and that's how I got drafted the first time in the first round by the Twins. And then now, why? You know, the obvious question: first round Twins. I know it's before the big money and all that, but why didn't you go? Because you, you there was a big disparity in the money offered. It was very. It was like it just wasn't. Well, it, didn't, it didn't seem too appealing at the time. Yeah, we, we, we spoke about this a little before. I thought it was interesting because I made the comparison about, you know, the bonuses and the slots and everything in the draft. 
and you know Ralph was saying it, it it was something similar there but obviously they still they weren't thrown around anywhere near sure. the amount of money that they're throwing around now you know a guy gets drafted in the first round you know that's you know a guaranteed you know 10 to 15 million right off the bat before he ever pitches in a professional back, game back then it was more in the low thousands <laughs> yeah. and if you're throwing you know would be considered today between 90 and 95 every sure. pitch uh it was it was it was different so you you went back again Right, to pitch more college ball. And then the Reds drafted me, okay. and I didn't sign because I was doing some work in between games, and my shoulder didn't feel right. So I said, I'm not signing, and the scout was cursing me up and down. And then I was playing in uh, Essex County League and threw a no-hitter for like 12 innings, and then he wanted to sign me, and, and it didn't work out. And then I went to Florida Southern a baseball okay. powerhouse to try to win a national championship, and we lost in the World Series, so I said, that's it. I had it with college. And then I said, I'm signing with whoever wants to draft me. Just sign me. I've had it. That's what happened. So you end up with the St. Louis Cardinals, man. We, yeah. had, we had a good I chance. Was, I was at St. Louis Cardinals, but I was in Yankee Stadium when I found out because Brian Butterfield's father, Jack sure. Butterfield, told me I'd be a Yankee. Ah, so they thought you were good. Now, now <laughs> let me ask you, Ralph. Was that, was that something that you kind of wanted to be? Did you grow up a Yankee fan, or was <laughs> – yeah. yeah, yeah, I figured you oh, probably did. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, now, now that was kind of the dream of yours. Like, wow, you know, what, what would it be like to pitch in Yankee Stadium to be a Yankee, something that you kind of followed your whole life? Yeah, I did get to pitch there once, though, with I the White Sox. Yeah. I struck out Winfield, Henderson, Tolleson, and Ward after giving yeah. up two hits and go, oh, no. And then I got a double play, and, as and crazy, that was it. As crazy as it sounds, uh, that's, I mean, he didn't meet me back then, but that's when I met him. Really? Yeah, I met him when he was with the White Sox for the first time. And um, I just knew that he was a local guy. Yeah. And years later, when we reconciled, got together, right, I I didn't know, obviously, when I met him when he was with the White Sox, um, that when he retires, you know, guys go all over the country. But he stayed He stayed in New Jersey. So Billy he found me. He came to my house. Yeah. And talk to my mom, and that's then we a, that's, a, up. that's what Billy does, man. But uh, <laughs> that's, I, that's Billy at his best. I, I gotta tell you something. That t- the time I pitched in Yankee Stadium, the next day I was in the old Yankee Stadium, and a fellow came up to me and said, "Ralph, great job." It was Billy Martin. I almost died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what's the difference between Citarella and Martin? Not much. You know, I was there. I mean, I got to. He's spend, Italian. Oh, he's, <laughs> same personality. You know, he's a guy that will will hug you. You know, and love really, you. And really. oh God, he was one of the probably the ten nicest people. And, and it's funny because you actually hear mixed stories. Obviously, the other side where people That's do alcohol. people have some negative uh, opinions of. Well, but I did hear. I have heard just as many good stories about Billy Martin as bad. Yeah, the bad here. Let me let me clarify that. Meaning that there's okay, there's sober good stories, and then you know when he's an alcohol, there's bad. But if you if you're gonna go on a bad story when he's sober, that's because right he could not push this middle button like the yellow light. Okay. And so if they lost and it was Citarella's kid in the locker room, because this is a Griffey story. Yeah. Right, it was Griffey Jr. And he would he he just was so intense with the game, right? You know, you, you might take it personal, but he'll he'll love you the next day. But get get your kid out of you know, and he'll he'll explode, right? And and it, it, we got to get to know each other, and so he'll calm down. He but just wanted he, to win. He he just re, you know what? And Billy Martin Jr. Um, you know has has done a few speaking gigs with kids with me. Okay. And he's just a great, you know, a great guy. And that's what we do is we laugh about just like you had a dad and I had a dad. We laugh about stories and. The good and the bad about our dad. But Ralph, right? I mean, anybody that played with him, when I get these stories from, from the guys, on the mound, typical northern New Jersey Italian. This guy thinks he li- – and that's what got him to the big leagues. Besides the arm, he, he, this was his kingdom. Yeah. He owned this mound. <laughs> he, was, he didn't care if you were Babe Ruth, right, or a AAA player. He, uh, that attitude, and that's what they talk about when you guys get together. Yeah, yeah, once you get between the white lines, man, it's war. Well, I'll, what, tell you, I'll tell you, Ralph made this good point before. He, he mentioned that you know if you don't have if you don't have the confidence as far as feeling like you could get anybody out or you could dominate at what you do, you you, you ain't gonna have any chance. It doesn't I, matter if it's baseball or banging nails or yeah. stocking shelves. <laughs> no <laughs> you question, know, do man. it right. Well, you um the one of the things I wanted to point out is when you first went into uh, you know the the minor leagues with signing your contract um in 1980 you were in gastonia 
So there is only a couple of guys. It's a typical minor league team. There's only a couple of guys that are going to get their time in the show because A, AA, AAA weeds people out. But you had two guys on your team named Van Slyke and Salas. And Terry Clark. We all oh, made Terry it. Terry Clark. Right. Right. We all signed together. And when you sign, uh, the late George Kissel, he t- gets you all together and he tells you, you're St. Louis Cardinals, respect the birds on the bat. We're the greatest organization. And he said, look around. There's only one of you and all these guys that are going to make it for one day. And I said, well, I don't know about all you other guys, but I'm going. <laughs> and and uh, Vance Lake, Salas, and Clarky, we all made it. That's awesome. We all made it. And uh, here's the Vance Lake story on Citarella. Um, Whitey Herzog, you don't know this because I, I haven't got to talk to you, but oh. it's, it's, a, it's a current one. Whitey Herzog had a 30th reunion of the 1982 Cardinals. So the Cardinals won the World Series in 82. And um, there's, you know, from the 25 players on the roster to those five or six other guys that got some time, uh, Vance likes there for the reunion. So who do I bring up? I bring up Citarella. <laughs> it's almost as if you were talking to Ralph rather than Andy. And he goes, do you know what Citarella did in AAA in 82? He starts, you know, he starts singing your praises. And he, and goes, he, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, he goes, Citarella is the only guy that was on the AAA team that had an outstanding season. Yeah, 15 and 6 that year. Right? That didn't, you know, it just so happens, you know, the way baseball works is he didn't get up. If he would have gotten up for one day, he you know, been I mean, he's been up with other years and other teams, but if he would have gotten up, and he goes, why isn't Cinderella here? There's, and he goes, there's no, idea, there's no reason on God's green earth that Cinderella shouldn't be at this gathering. And it's because, oh, he comes up in 83. But 82 is when he ruled the mound. And that's what Vance like, you know. Yeah, he, he, we lived together. I haven't seen Andy in a long time. Yeah, Brawny. I went in with Brawny. And it's funny. What man. an athlete he was! <sighs> oh my God, he was. Uh, he had a free ride for basketball too to Syracuse. Did he? Yeah, you see him play basketball. He uh, he says to me, John. He goes, Hey, Billy. You know, you were around back then. He goes. He goes. Uh, was I nice to you, or was you know, uh, was I a jerk? And I go. Well, you know, some days you were nice, some days you were a jerk, Andy. I said, but, but it doesn't matter now. We're here. He, Andy Van Slyke was such a great athlete. The Cardinals was the greatest outfielder I've ever seen. His skills deteriorated so fast because in the minor leagues, he would run into the fences and dive and everything. And then when he got to the big leagues, he had a first baseman's glove, a third baseman's glove, a catcher's glove, an outfielder's glove, and they had him play in all these positions. And the Cardinals were really bad in 80, 83. Yeah. Or at 84. And we're in San Diego, and Andy's playing third base. And it's tie score, and there's a play at the plate in the last inning, and Andy cuts the ball off, and we lose. The run scores. And we walk into the locker room, and Whitey Herzog starts screaming at Van Slyke. And Van Slyke turns around and goes, Hey, Whitey, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. The only reason I graduated high school is my father was the principal. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's insane, man. Well, when, when you were, you know, you're talking about after the 82 season, 83, 84, you know, you're flip-flopping between AAA and the big leagues. And who else who else was there to bet that was doing the same flip-flop? But as Braun, Steve Braun says, the biggest cheers, Ozzy gets big cheers and, and everybody else gets big cheers. But the biggest cheers every time they go back to St. Louis for a union from the fans is Willie McGee. You were doing the same shuffle as Willie at the same time. Willie's my good friend. He, if I see Willie Van or whatever Van, he all I say is "Hey, all world." He turns around and thinks if anybody says it, he thinks it's me. <laughs> hey, hey, Ralph, I wanted to ask you, man. Is it, you know you talked about you know growing up being a Yankee fan, and of course the Yankees have that that identity to them of you know being a Yankee, be a certain way. Did you see any similarities to that when you when you when you were drafted and came through to St. Louis organization? Because if you really say there's a team like the Yankees that say the Yankee mystique, the Yankee way, the closest thing to it, maybe, or at least this is my opinion, is is the way the St. Louis Cardinals run their organization. And the other team, well, the Yankees in the minor leagues, Dan, you saw they knew they were Yankees all the way down. And the Dodgers were, I wanted to play for the Dodgers too, but the Dodgers had that aura. They were the best. They walked it, they talked it. And they, they, they were good. If you remember those teams, with Lasorda and Paranowski as coaches, and and they, uh, you know, the Penguin and Lopes, Garvey, you infield, name it. 
But the Cardinals, the Cardinals, the Cardinals aura was more they believed it because we practiced and we knew we were good and we knew we could do it about against anybody. I uh, one of the things I'd like to point out, John, and, and to let Ralph go on about this. You, you know, you get into uh, pro baseball. It doesn't matter rookie leagues. It doesn't matter whether it's it's here in Newark. It, you know, it, it, you're playing for money. And we sat this summer shaking our heads like we're old men because you're a pitching coach, you're a manager, you're doing the whole shooting match, right? And I know how you were on the mound because now we're, we're talking like we're old, right? And and you we're, we're talking to each other. Go off on these guys that know how to throw, right? They they can throw that ball. They can throw 90, right? But they won't they won't hide. They won't. You know, it's almost like they're scared to make a mistake, and that was frustrating you with the Newark Bears because you're back in baseball now as a pitching coach. Uh, explain. Well, they don't understand that, you know, it takes a while. Everyone wants to throw hard. They think the harder they throw, the better. But it doesn't matter how hard you throw because if you you can throw 95, but if you throw it flat or throw it down the middle, a major league hitter, even a minor league hitter, they're just going to adjust their bat speed and they're going to kill it. They don't realize that you, you, you can throw inside and outside, and as long as the hitter doesn't know which side of the plate you're throwing to, you have a big advantage. And you just really want to take the sting out of the hitter's bat because it took me like seven years to figure out why to even give a pitcher a glove. You know, you don't have to strike everybody mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I tell you what's what's interesting about it, and I mean, if you know, if this doesn't make the point, you know, I don't think nothing will. I mean, Araldis Chapman threw a 105 mile an hour fastball last year, got hit out of the park. Yeah. So it, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you throw; it's 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 location, it's move, it's moving the ball in and out. If a batter's comfortable, they're going to be able to time any fastball. We were talking earlier when I told you about bonus babies getting brought up to AAA and having to go all the way back. The Cardinals, one of the greatest relievers ever, strongest arms, running these legit guys that threw if he was throwing today what was 95 when i played would have been 100 today on yeah. the guns was todd worrell oh, and yeah. and here's todd and they put him in triple a and and against the iowa cubs uh the, the cubs farm team and he's get they're just blasting his gas out of the park and he's like oh my god and they sent him all the way down to a ball and reprogrammed him as a reliever and got all his confidence back and then he was a force to be reckoned with. Now I tell you, it really all comes down to just you, you have to, you have to have an idea of how to pitch. It's not it really just isn't about just uh, having having the dominating skills. I mean, you, you know, look, even a guy like Brian Taylor who was drafted by the Yankees, no, you know, number one overall, you know, was known for his fastball, and he he ne- he never made it very far. And it's you know, it's a shame how that ends up happening, but it's not all its not all the, the best set of tools that you got. It, it's really what you do. You also need some some good coaching, coaches to get behind you and say, listen, you got to do this a little more. you got to lay off of that. Throw the ball inside a little more. Don't be afraid to freaking hit somebody. All you have to do is talk to a hitter, and a hitter will tell you, I don't care how hard he throws. I care where he throws it. Yeah. You, um, I want to... Uh, talk 500 home run club because i i get to do this because we don't you know we're always doing something else when we're together but um you um you're still you know flip-flopping triple a big leagues you, you haven't done your last time yet so in 86 you're in tacoma all right so I'm, I'm letting it register with your brain and this young kid's on his way up right this big huge west coast boy is on his way up to the big leagues and his name's mark mcguire so you guys right are on the same team yeah, I met him in spring training. He was, I was talking to him, and uh, he came over to the big league camp, and I was in big league camp, and I happened to talk to him a little bit. And he was just a young, skinny little kid, and man, look what look what he did! Boy, could he hit! And Conseco was there too. That was his first spring training, and you should have seen what happened. Years ago, in baseball, they only had the trainer and the team doctor. They didn't want to see training. Weights, nothing. Right. You didn't talk about a chiropractor. You didn't. They didn't exist. Okay. And then years around '85, teams started bringing in strength and health and fitness and martial art guys. The Phillies were the only one that had Gus Heffling. Sure. So they brought in a guy by Mac Newton, okay. and here we are: uh, Kingman, Dusty Baker, 
Carney Lansford, Alfredo Griffith, you name it. And here's Canseco's first spring training. He shows up. His arms are so big you can't imagine. And he can't do all the stretching that they're teaching us. So all he did was 100 push-ups at a time and just get up and pull the sleeves on his shirt because his arms were like they couldn't fit. (laughs) And then the first game I was on the bucket and they made him hit last. Because he hit every ball out of the stadium. There's no balls left. <laughs> and he's hit one ball, and as it was still in the air going over the center field backdrop, another one was on its way. <laughs> and I remember Dusty Baker looking up and going, man was not made to do this. And when I used to leave and this batting practice was still going on because they let pitchers leave early, right. I had a souped up Z28 with T-tops. I used to gun it because I didn't want any of his home runs to hit me and come <laughs> in my car. Don't you? Not, I, knew, I knew John it would lead to something. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, as you're leaving, as you're driving out there, do you, do you have like – uh, kind of a, a, a back eye view of seeing like the trajectory of anything coming at you so you can kind of be prepared. Enough. I just put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> My car was quick. You're just looking, well, looking straight forward and that's it. The other, the other thing, because of baseball politics, I mean, it's only, it, it can't be from a fan. It's got to be from a player. The guy you play for in the minor leagues, you know, that's, your, that's your manager, Fergosi, while you're in the Cardinal system, ends up in 87 being the guy that brings you back to the big leagues. How, how do, you know, I'm just going on so that fans that listen to this understand how much politics, you know, there is. What happened was I knew I was going to have a chance to make the AAA team, and I made it. And Jim was in the big leagues. And what happened was, and I realized it this summer, I thought I never won a game in the big leagues, but I did. They called me up to pitch the Windy City Classic, the Cubs, uh, White Sox, Cubs. Sure. And I was supposed to pitch two innings. But I pitched seven innings, and I faced the same team that I faced a game of the week in 84, the Cubs game, which I should have won, except for the home run of two outs in the bottom of the ninth off a suitor. That was my win. I pitched seven innings and blew them away. And so they called me up the next day. Yeah. And when I got off the mound, see, everybody – they, you know, they wanted me to pitch good, and Fergosi went oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I just talked to Jim yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Well, his name ends in an I. Yours name ends in an A. You're a guy that you know is is just a manager or a player's player, and you go up for this game because they don't want to waste, a, you know, a big league arm. God forbid, because that's the way it works. Same thing with the Mayor's Trophies game with the Yankees versus. I the found Mets. the ball the other day Did when you? I was moving. That's why I remember that. <laughs> so basically, a Mayor's Trophy game. Out there in Chicago leads to you going back to the big leagues. Yeah, I was dealing that day. Yeah. <laughs> Same team, uh, the Cubs, Sandberg, Durham, all of them. Um, going back, you know, that's that's '87, and all, all ball players go into regular life. Um, it's the first year that you got it under your belt back in baseball, you know, with, with, with guys that have been in the big leagues, guys that are really trying to get into that double, double AAA team. Um, you know, that's, there's a 25-year difference of Citarella and, and uh, pro baseball. Uh, well, Billy, maybe we could write a book called 25 Years in Center Field, and I call that the couch, looking at the center field view on the TV. I learned a lot. Yeah. And last year, when I put that uniform on and um, they played the national anthem, I was home. Yeah. And uh, I'm going back, and we're going to have a good team this year, the North Bears. A lot of pitchers want to come back. They want to be with me. And I tell them, I'll get you to the next level if you listen. If you don't listen, you're gone. This year, you don't listen, you're gone. Because we want winners. We want players. And we don't want any coaches. We got enough coaches. How can a guy teach another kid how to play when he don't know what he's doing? Sure. So that's what we're going to do this year. We have tryouts coming up um, this year. I'm going to tell you when in a little while. We got a bunch of stuff going on. They're building uh, a lot of programs with the inner city and little baseball leagues to get all the kids out. And uh, they're looking to turn that city around and uh, put a winning tradition together instead of just looking to be, you know, in and out one year. 
Yeah, oh, no, yeah. No question, yeah. man. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with Ralph Citarello, Billy Staples. Uh, we've got a ton of stuff to go over. Uh, probably another four minutes within this hour, and then we're going to break for about five minutes and come back. But um, a little bit on the Newark Bears. I mean, this is a team I got a chance to see. And, you know, like I mentioned before, MTR Radio was uh, doing a play-by-play for a lot of their home games last year. Um, I have I, – I, I just I – just I'm going to ask because I just don't, I just don't know the answer. Is, is this a situation where you really do have, like, almost like open tryouts every year? Is this a team – are you able to retain a lot of your team from year to year? Or is this something that every year it's like, all right, we got to put this thing together and you know put something out there? At the end of the year, you're allowed to uh, sign or retain, I believe it's 15 players. I'm not sure, 15. Okay. And the rest you have to give a release to, okay. which doesn't mean they can't come back. Yeah. So... You just can't have like everybody poaching your players. It's you know because exactly. else everyone would just go and take the best player. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Now is it a situation where I guess the organization would go and maybe decide who their fifteen best players are and want to retain them? Yeah, yeah. The conversations go or, like that. Or, we or went, we it, went over the players. Okay, and now with, is it, uh, Tim Raines. Yeah, and Tim just got picked up by uh, Toronto outfield and base stealing instructor so he won't be coming back to the Bears right, this well, year. Good, good for him, man. He's great back, for back him. Bad for us. Great for him. What a great guy. I had so much fun with Tim this summer, learning a lot about hitting and reali- realizing a lot of it's the same. And uh, we're going to have open tryouts April 13th for the Newark Bears. So anybody who's uh, wanting to try to uh, play professional baseball and thinks they're good, come on down if you have a good arm. Really, come on down. Yeah, you throw hard, and uh, you you throw the ball hard, and uh, you know this guy over here will give you some instruction on where to put it and develop you into the next pitcher. We actually had tryouts uh, about a month ago. They got pushed back because of Hurricane Sandy, and we caught a weekend, and some sixty players came. And there's there's two pitchers that I'm signing. I got a really? left. I got a lefty. That I couldn't even play catch with because the ball moved so much. So I said, someone else play catch with him because I don't want to get hurt. (laughs) And a righty from Trenton. And uh, I liked his demeanor and his form on the mound because I'm looking for starters. Nice. I got you. So anybody, last year we had 400 people come. Did you? Yeah, I had to look at Ephus pitches to speed balls. I saw everything. So come on down if you want to try out. 400. You know, it's a great – you get into – baseball's a numbers game. Yes. Did you get two? Did you get three? I mean, did you get somebody from the 400? We actually signed, I believe, about two or three. Really? For the start of the season. And uh, they get an opportunity. Hey, if you can play, someone's going to find you. So yeah, no question about it. Right, listen, man, we're going to take a quick five-minute break, you know, for the network to the top of the hour. We'll be back. A lot more going on. John Pielli, Passball Show. I'm here with Ralph Citarella, Billy Staples. Listen, man, we'll be back a little more after this. Hey, everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Saber Metrics. Created by computer geeks that think they're better than you. Saber Metrics. All these numbers make them seem smart and you stupid. Saber Metrics. I know more than you. Saber Metrics. Seldomly make. 
face down now. This may be the last chance I get. I just want to be famous. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Keep the lights